Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper leagues to top 1000 mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at puremtgo.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor, MDGO Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show. From YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 452 of the Constructed Criticism Podcast. I'm your host, Heezy, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, the person who uh, had the most difficult time ordering dinner with me this weekend, Abe Stein. That's true. Passover is hard to eat with. And the person who uh, would not smile during our group picture, Ms. Clark. I got a brand up hold. No jokes, no funny business. <laughs> did, did they give you my tag? Did no, they it give it? No, it was already on, on your body. Yeah, well, so I, I told them because I, I messaged him to like email it to like uh mail it to me if he wouldn't mind. And he was like, oh, Don't I worry, I have it up on the thing. I could have messaged Yeah, so then I said, Hey, if you see these guys and I sent them the picture of you, I was like, those are my friends and my co-hosts. If you can like give it to them, I'm sure they can take care of it. But I don't know if you ever, you didn't reply to the email. And so, Never I, I, made. I totally, totally would have just grabbed it had you text me. You're all good. I'm sure J- John's a homie, the, the head judge who does that sort of thing. So I'm sure okay. he'll mail it to me. But or he'll hand it to me in Dallas, one of the two. Uh, but, oh, um, an yeah. always improving moment for you would have been telling us that you said that so that we could just do that for you. Yeah, I just didn't want to bother you all while you're doing your RC thing, you know? Yeah, but speaking of always... Also, important. I didn't know if you knew who John was, and that's a whole thing you had to find, John. Mason, you're really ruining this transition. I love you. I'm just kidding. People's... Actually, no. This is the perfect time to say this. I got feedback that you and I have different communication styles. I was just kidding. And mm-hmm. I love you, Mason. And I don't really think you're ruining the transition. I said that for comedic effect. Oh, a little yoke these trying times. Yes. Yeah, always improving is that I could be more clear with Mason when I'm joking. But I want to get into how I was always improving this weekend at the tournament. Because um, there was there was some really interesting moments this weekend for me at the RC. One of the biggest moments that I found was that when my opponent started playing quickly, I started to go into arena mode. And I do not play arena to like practice good magic. I play arena to like understand what a deck is trying to do and move on in a lot of ways. It's like, you know, practicing bad habits and I should really stop. But they were able to trick me into doing, to taking game actions. Uh, what felt like almost at random, I'm being a little hard on myself, but uh, I had a pretty big always improvement of like, it actually happened while I was watching Abe play uh, in day two where I remember the amount of time I used to spend on my game attack mechanics and having decisive reasons for why I drew a card this way, why I responded this way, why I did things in a certain way. And I don't have that right now because I've let them lax in the last four years. And uh, you might be like, you might be asking yourself, like, why does this matter? And the reason that it matters is because it, I did it because I had this problem in the past. And it 
helped that problem and made it so that I didn't pass priority on a stack that I wanted to respond to. It made it so I didn't draw an extra card on accident and back then get a game loss. It made it so I didn't, like, all of those things added up to, there's a reason, once you have the muscle memory for it, it's really good. And so my was improving moment is actually going to be recording a piece of bonus content that I haven't asked Abe if he's going to make, but I'm going to make him make it about talking about mechanics because I actually watched Abe and was like, this dude mechanics are insane. People should emulate Abe to have good mechanics because he's not, there's no wasted effort. There's no, it's not like trying to be flashy. A lot of people will like create these like flashy mechanics to, to like look cool while they're playing magic that they think is cool that they think somebody else did. That's not what's happening with Abe. And I don't know. I really appreciated it. It reminded me that I used to do that and that I don't do it anymore. And that was, that was my always improving moment. And Abe's like shaking. He wants to talk so bad. What's I'd up, Abe? Love to get a good, I'd love to get a good piece of recognition. Here's the I've, thing, I've said it a lot. And when you said that to me at the tournament, you're like, your mechanics are out of this world. Like they're so clean. <laughs> I was like, thank you. Because I do. I just think I play some clean magic. It, I feel like it's the one I, vain thing about me. I love watching. Like, go back and watch any of my coverage. It's just always such a clean I, game. Here's the thing is like, I, I legitimately mean like I had to adopt things and process things this way because I was have finding problems. And like, I don't know if it's like my ADHD and like reining it in by doing this, but the watching you play, I was like, I need to go back to doing this. And there's reasons like I, it slows down my pace of play. It makes sure that I think about things. Uh, I, I was just really impressed. And I, this is not just me like gushing over Abe. Like I think that I, there are other people that I've said this to in the past, but I, I really did think that Abe was, uh, the no wasted effort thing was really impressive. Uh, I watched Abe multiple times, know his play with a planeswalker in play that I think that only comes from having mechanics where your card is where you think it is in your hand. And like, I, it was, I was just impressive. I'm, I'm not going to, do you actually know the moment I'm talking about? Um, there was, your no. opponent played a Liliana and you immediately knew what you were going to do your next turn and your hand was face down and you knew where the card was. Oh, yeah. no, I, I do recall this. Yeah, I, I had a Sulphur Springs I was discarding. Yes. My hand was kind of yes. light, heavy on lands. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, he knew exactly what he was doing. And I don't know. I, I just thought... Oh, I, yeah, I'd thought through that entire sequence if they had Liliana the entire yes. like, the entire way through, yeah. Um. So, yeah, that that's why I was improving my mind. This is something I used to spend time thinking about and doing. And I was like, ah, this doesn't matter in the end of the end of, at the end of the day. But, uh, you know, I found times where it mattered this weekend in my matches. And then I watched Abe play and I was like, holy crap, I need to get back to this. Yeah. And I mean, tied into like what you're saying about your always improving moment, like. There's no when I'm playing like that, there's no arena mode. And honestly, like my always improving moment for this weekend was um, it was a couple of things. There was one. Two small ones, which were like one. Because of open deck lists, I was like, okay, I'm not going to do anything funky with my tokens or anything. I'm not going to, like, I can just take them out of deck box immediately, get everything set up and organized, which is funny that then you were talking about my mechanics. Because, like, as far as keeping a board state organized, I was the most, like, usually, you know, it's like 
digging in and out of the, the deck box for them, things like that. Because it was open deck list and everyone knows everything's going to be there already, there's no reason to hide it, and that made things a lot easier um, on me. And I was, like, the most prepared for that that I usually ever am for tournaments. Usually I just have, like, a handful of random things and some dice, and I make it work in a tournament. The other was that I did, um, I did like, cardio every morning before the event because, I, A, I had friends who were going down to the gym and Airbnb to do it, and so it was, like, a good way to wake up. B, it was just something to, like, really make it so that magic wasn't the first thing I was doing with myself of the day, which I think really did help because I found that over the tournament, I played probably like one of the best tournaments I've played in a long time. Like mechanically, there was not a lot of, um, and technically as well. I think, I think there was like one shoulder sugar I missed. And then there was some amount of like mulligan decision that was kind of close that I may have made some wrong decisions on in a couple of rounds. But um, other than that, there was like no plays on the board where I was not entirely locked into what I was doing. I was not aware of or thinking about what was going on in the game. Um, you know, there was a reason behind every play I made. And just like being able to lock in like that again and um, like performing at that level, even though there were, like I said, I'm sure there was like a, a hand or two that I kept that I should have mulliganed. Um, but down to like, you know, really just thinking through every every duress or every combat, like every single decision point I was at, I was I was just really engaged and thinking it over. And that really, really added up. I was very proud of myself with how I played um overall this weekend. Like not having there was no punts, there was no blunders. You know, the games I lost, I felt I lost, and the games I won, um, you know, I really felt that I I won due to following that. And so that was just like you know, maybe a couple of things that added up to some amount of that, you know, like maybe putting the extra effort into making sure my mechanics were going to be as clean as possible. Having everything laid out for me made it easier to focus. Maybe open deck lists help with that a lot because before the match even started, I was looking over every card in their deck, making sure I knew, you know, what it was I was playing around or after sideboarding, I knew what my game plan was and what kind of hands I should be trying to keep or what cards were important and how I wanted things to line up. Um, but whatever it was, it, it was a really, really big one for me. And I hope to to carry that into the rest of how I play because that was was probably the the performance of Magic Tournament. Even though I wound up going like eight six at the end of everything, um, I felt like I was really, really happy with and proud of just every part of my my preparation process and my play uh, on the weekend. That's right. Being happy with your play and your preparation is so much of it. In like winning and losing like doesn't actually matter all that much like outside of like hitting the qualification thing right like it just it's much more about the process and setting yourself up for long-term success and being happy and that sort of thing like mad tournaments pump out losers in the sense that like very few people actually win and the rcs are a weird example where like you can actually kind of win all the way down to top 48 right so it is a very different experience than the normal one. So I'm happy that you're happy with it because that's so such a big part of it. Yeah. And one last thing that I forgot about is that like as a part of this whole holistic, I just feel like I had a really great tournament, even though the result wasn't what maybe I would have wanted out of a tournament where I thought I played this way. I started tournament 02 um, and then was just battling back the whole way. And never once, even though it was like, you know, my back's very much against the wall. If I'm really playing this event to try to qualify for the Pro Tour, never once did I ever feel like emotionally discouraged. Never once was I like counting myself out. Was I looking around elsewhere, you know, for what it was I was doing? I wasn't thinking about the 10K. It was just like 
the whole way through, I was really locked in. Um, and, and it really was just like a tournament that I was really proud of. So yeah, that's I, all I really have to say on it. I actually just want to compliment the Magic community on that because um, it actually did feel like on one, there was a side of the room, uh, especially I think when we were 2 1, you, you, like you and I were both 2 1, and, um, like my, my match for, uh, I really felt like we, we understood that, like, we were kind of already under pressure, and I didn't lose that feeling. Um, it, it wasn't until I got to the X3 bracket where people were, like, really disheartened. And what was funny is, like, uh, in my in my round six, I told my opponent, I was like, you know, he was already disheartened. I, I beat him game one. I was like, hey, man, I need you to stop, like, because it was a local Utah player. His name is Tyson. I think he's way better than he thinks he is. I think that he, he was disheartened to play against me. And I, like, told him, I was like, hey, man, like, if you're going to beat me and knock me out of this tournament, I need you to, like, turn turn around what you're saying right now. Cause like we like you're gonna make and he, like you you're gonna make a run, and I think that as a whole, I noticed that like the that there was a positivity in the room, where like you you usually get like a lot of salt, and I think that people felt it in a lot of different ways, and uh, the experience was positive for people that even people that didn't make day two, people that you know. I don't know. It was it was electric. Yeah, I don't know if it's something about having qualified or or what um, that really changed it from like your average GP room, which would put a lot of people who a lot of people compare the RCs really to being like like GPs. But I think that yeah, there was definitely something about players. Like even my my round nine opponent who wound up uh, going X three one in the tournament after beating me in this round to to qualify for the Pro Tour, he also started O two, and it was just the amount of people who were like really like they're not. Right, this is their shot. They felt it. They're like they're taking it every every play, every turn until they're eliminated. Was just really, it was awesome. It was all over the place, and and the people who are not really having it definitely, um, there were way less of them than you'd see at your average average GP or whatever. Mason, what about you? What did you do to be always improving this week? Well, I want to say really quick about that. Um, I, I think it's an important thing to take away, especially what Abe said there at the end, right? Like. Abe started O2, so did the opponent who knocked Abe out, essentially, and went on to go X3-1, right, and make the Pro Tour. You're not actually dead. Like, going O3 makes it very unlikely you're making on breakers, but you're not actually out of it, right? So you start O2, you have, like, three losses to give at these things. And so, you know, you're not dead until you're dead. So I think it's good to sort of keep that clear in mind. I wanted to, you know, make a note of that. Um, anyways, uh, my always improving moment from this past week uh, really came from – thinking about the open deckless um, and that whole sort of, uh, I want to say controversy and conversation on social media, where there was a lot of talk about how open deckless ruins everything, how it stifles innovation. And I was basically in the camp of, I think open deckless hurts innovation um, because it makes it all these, it's so hard to like maybe surprise people or do these sort of things. Um, but it, you know, I didn't think it like ruined anything by any stance. And then uh, CT Soft, I believe is how you say their username, uh, and the rest of Sanctum Fall came with this really innovative combo deck and standard that's been here the whole time, or at least since the, the last set. Um, and no one had really found it. And they really sort of pushed the limits and everything. And it just reminded me once again of, the, in the always improving moment of, there's so much to do and so much to push and explore. And 
we often just give up early. And I had sort of just resigned and gave up that like, oh, open deck list means like you should probably lean towards playing mid-range decks. You get a huge edge from this kind of that. But, you know, like this sort of thing didn't stop them from not only taking the risk on this deck, um, but innovating and pushing and seeing that sort of thing. And CT Soft uh, is known for playing wild decks, uh, to put it lightly. Um, so this isn't a surprise uh, from them, but it, it is still like a good reminder that it was probably a bit overblown and a little defeatist of me. And uh, giving up and being defeatist in Magic, I think, is one of the most common mistakes and trends that people do. So that's my always improving moment. I, I think it actually just like goes into what Abe just said too. Like when you become defeatist, you've already started to lose certain uh, tiny edges or so that you could gain in different spots. Yep. So agreed. Uh, really quick, every week on the show, we like to give you a Patreon shoutouts to the newest patrons of the show. Um, just recognizing the people that are making the show possible. And this week we have a few. So I just want to give a shout out to Josh, Jay, Turner, Cody, and Tommy for being our newest patrons. Some of these people elected for the $10 entry, uh, $10 a month Patreon benefits, which include free, uh, entry into our quarterly tournaments. Um, I will admit that I did not remember that I had forgotten to do this until this moment. And they will be up either tonight or tomorrow uh, where, with a link in the show notes before the show is posted to register for that tournament. So uh, really exciting and just really grateful. Like uh, I don't remember the last time that we had five new patrons. And if that doesn't say how great standard was and how great this tournament was, um, I honestly don't know what will. So, uh, really quickly, just want to remind uh, people that if you're listening, you own a company, you want to sponsor the podcast, hit us up. Let us know. Um, I got to talk to Sam Black of the Drafting Archetypes podcast about some potential ideas this weekend for sponsorship and for new Patreon awards. And it was really cool to kind of see how he's been thinking the same way that I have and, and what we can do to, to kind of help the network and, and things like that. And then also uh, got to see some of the Swag Store products. We had we had multiple people in Instructor Criticism t-shirts this weekend at the event from the Swag Store. And uh, just want to let people know that uh, there, there's going to be updates to the Swag Store uh, this, if not this week, then next week. And that, um, you know, we might change things. Uh, one of the pieces of feedback that I got was, I don't know how much the Swag Store is giving you. It's not giving us a lot. Basically, every purchase is like, a dollar for us or so I, I try to keep the cost as low as possible um but i i just really appreciated uh, seeing those at the tournament and things like that and i want to give a shout out let's go to our main topic um and for those keeping track at home because this is also feedback we got given uh, this is a main topic episode not a training grounds episode uh if you want a complete list of training grounds episode uh become a patron so that i can take a day off to do that Brunch. <laughs> uh so we are going to do pioneer power rankings today so the way our power rankings work is you get six points for first place five points for second four for top four three for top eight two for top 16 and then if the tournament is big enough sometimes one for top 32 none of the tournaments were big enough to uh add one points for top 32 so they're all top 16 points and this comes from the last four pioneer challenges as of 411 uh and then the 5k at mdx oakland um that was a i think a five slot rcq i don't know how a five slot rcq works but 
Uh, or maybe, There's probably a Vorse slot. Was it a... Okay. Um, That's how energy does it. Nice. Like they like they had a Pioneer 5K, I think, the same weekend or maybe the weekend before. And it's we, we do four slaughters there. So, with that being said, um, I got some... I, I, I'm not going to bury the lead. I'm just going to talk about the top eight decks by points. Um, rather than doing... You know, honorable mentions and trying to figure it out uh, because we're in magic, we're just in the top eight. Uh, blue X Spirits, that's blue, white, and mono blue. Thank you so much for the feedback, Mason and Ape. Uh, came in with 11 points. Uh, mono Green came in with 11 points. Phoenix came in with 12 points. Hidden Strings came in with 15 points. Gruel came in with 19 points. Black Red Mid came in with 26 points. Abzan Fang Gang came in with 28 points. And Blue white control came in with thirty eight points. With that being, we'll start with the honorable mentions. We have Phoenix, Green, and Spirits. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll dive in really quickly. Simple summary: You've got a tempo deck, you've got a combo deck, and you've got a mid range combo deck. How would you describe Phoenix, Abe? I would say Phoenix is. Um... I, yeah, I think it's I think it's a mid range deck that just has uh, worse answers and more threats. I don't know. It, it's like definitely a, a, a proactive kind of. I guess it's like a. Eh, it is kind of comboy. I think it depends on how it's built too. I haven't really seen what the the recent Phoenix lists are are up to, but it. I think currently the role it's playing in the format is is one of being just kind of disruptive and having the the clock on it. So I, I'd put it in the mid range category for now. Yeah, I, I think I like the classification of, like, mid-range combo. This is actually something that uh, Matt Clay and I have been talking about in Smash recently, where the archetypes of Smash in Ultimate specifically get blended a lot. And I was like, I don't know why Smash players won't blend archetypes like Magic players will. Like, we have control combo. We have aggressively slanted mid-range. We have, like, these things. And I think, like, I think there's value in that. And, like, maybe... Maybe that's the truth. Maybe Phoenix is aggressively slanted mid-range, but I think that that deck's hard to quantify. Um, I want to talk about key cards really quick in these decks because they they, they have some bangers. Um, the first one, being Nykthos, is a banger in these lists. Um, it is one of the kind of key cards in the format, a uh, card that a lot of people... You mean of the green list, right? Yeah, I, we're talking about all three decks at once. Okay, well, you, you were just talking about Phoenix. I, I got. I thought Phoenix had picked up Nykthos for a second because we were oh, talking about they were playing Nykthos. I, I can okay, see how sorry. that's confusing. <laughs> thank you for thank yeah. you for protecting the listener there. Yeah, I, I of the honorable mentions, uh, I think that the key cards to talk about are Nykthos, um, Arclight Phoenix, and the Delve spells, and then from Spirits, I think that it is. Oh my gosh, I can't remember the name of the Spirits now. Uh, the one one Spirit, the Ma- Mausoleum Wanderer and rattle chains i think are kind of like the main key cards out of these decks what are you guys thoughts uh I, mean, I think i i think one of the things that really jumps out to me um when you're sort of listing this off is sort of like the power cards right um and it, it sort of shows like yeah like modern Green's sort of thing that it's doing it's sort of unfair nature is nykthos and like that is, you know, like you mentioned, it's one of the key cards, and it's how it sort of overpowers people, right? And, like, it has Karn as well, which, like, turns off certain portions of the metagame and also gives this deck this really great late-game grind potential as well of being a combo. So uh, that's something that jumps out to me. Uh, you know, Phoenix is, like like you mentioned, the Devil Spells, both Temporal Trespass and Treasure Cruise. 
sort of giving you that mid-range game plan you can play, but also the combo finish it almost always works towards in the form of Temporal Trance Plus plus Galvanic Iteration. So very interesting there. And then, yeah, Spirits are so it's so weird because I I always think of Curious Obsession as, like, the card out of that deck, but it is sort of, like, Rattle Chains and Mausoleum Wonder do almost more work of, like, keeping the opponent off uh, balance. So Yeah, I, I no, I, I think this is a really good point. I played a ton of Spirits, and I, I definitely... My, Curious Obsession is, like, the thing that really makes the deck... When you say power cards, that's the one of this deck, right? Where the other... The, like, workhorses or the... The um, what's the word that we would give like burning tram? Sorry, the um, the staples of the deck almost uh, kind of like are those those two spirits specifically, and I, I think for what it's worth, it's one of the reasons that it, it it separates this deck a little bit from the band deck. Where like it, it's not trying to get to like a collective company draw; it's trying to curve out and protect its stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much like a Delver deck. I, I do want to, before we go on, by the way, you know, we did one of these mega ranking episodes four months ago. And at the hey, time, Mason, Mason, we're Mason, going Mason, to Mason, Mason. a little bit of Rakdos and Green. Mason. Yep. Uh, can you reset yeah, that? I, may, I don't know if that was my internet, but I couldn't. No, it, it cut out for me too. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll reset it. Okay, give, give, it, give it. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I do want to take a moment to notice, like, we did one of these episodes four or five months ago, and at the time, the two top decks were red, black, and uh, mono green, when we did the last uh, Pioneer Mega Rankings, and right now, mono green's here at the bottom, and, you know, we spent a little bit of time talking about some of these other decks, but I do just want to mention, like, the format has really changed since the RC and the Pro Tour. Uh, the lack of pressure put on the format and the amount of things that people got wrong, like, decks like Lotus Field was sort of assumed to have bad um modern green matchups and to be fair they were the way they were built at the time but players just didn't put the work in there wasn't the incentive and since the rc coming back the rc starting the pro tour coming back we have really seen sort of an innovation and we've seen green sort of take its role as tron in the format uh sort of this thing that punishes mid-range decks goes big but is very much beatable and like a fine deck but not you know the best thing ever and it's a real dynamic change from you know where we were five months ago i i want to be clear well i don't want to be clear i want to ask actually that do you feel like being a top eight deck in a format i guess i should have said this going in and i didn't that's actually my bad always improving there are 26 different archetypes like unique archetypes that got points for this power rankings and i don't know that in a spreadsheet i've I've had to go to the letter z uh since coming back to the podcast and it's been a really long time even before that. Like 26 different decks having a top 16. And the ones that would surprise you the most, like Waste Not had multiple, multiple top 16s. Like, mm-hmm. I I don't know that I would put, a, a you know, being a top eight deck in a format like that as the bottom, but well, maybe, maybe, I mean, it's a, maybe it's a... Um, What's the word? Like, a, I get what you're trying to say, though, Mason. When I, like, hear these bottom three, I think it is really, um, you know, and, like, they're honorable mentions, right? They're not in the top five. They're still good yes. decks. And, like, you know, I would say that 
if you're being a reasonable deck gamer, these have always been and will always be choices you can make. You know, a lot would have to change before they'd really fall off. But if you're someone who hasn't played Pioneer in five or six months because all of your RCQs near you were modern or you were focused on standard for the RC and you just weren't playing the format at all, you didn't really watch the Pro Tour, like you heard, you know, uh, you know what won and you know, like what people kind of played, but you didn't play a lot yourself. This is definitely like a big, um, a big departure from where maybe you remembered things. And even where I, you know, previously to, to now diving into Pioneer for this season, um, you know, starting today was kind of thinking about the format as my last snapshot because, you know, previously it was mono green and red black was kind of like that was the matchup that mattered the most. And so because mono green had the edge, you know, Rakdos was like just a cut below to some people, but mono green is more exploitable. Now, if you look at, and when we go into the, the other um, five decks, things that people are doing in the format have really changed from what things were people were doing in the format and succeeding with that weren't the standby decks those six months ago. You know, we're not talking about decks like Angels or about decks um, like... Oh, God. I'm blanking on the name of that deck. Um, Creativity? Yeah, we're not talking about, about creativity, and we're not talking about, um, like, a, a lot of decks from the Pro Tour, like, aren't really showing up here, and we're talking about decks, and we will be talking about decks that are, like, a lot more of the linear parts of Pioneer. It's a lot less of things that we're trying to play bigger, fair games and kind of hold things down, and a lot more of decks that are trying to play their own game. And that change has really, it really shows in the fact that, you know, these decks that were once towards the top of the format because they were really good at engaging in the in the games in those ways those aren't what the games are really about as much anymore so it's harder to get those consistent top 16 finishes with these decks that previously were just you know at at the very top so just something to keep in mind you know as um pioneer season is is rolling in on us for for our first seasonal rcq season that um you know even though pioneer is this non-rotating format like Mason said, the pressure put on it and the way people have, um, you know, really innovated it and tried to win in it. And also things like, you know, there's there's decks we're not even going to talk about that are all just like varieties of Atraxa decks or creativity decks that are, you know, less all in on that one combo and are like, I've seen creativity Atraxa decks, I've seen Neoform Atraxa decks. There's, there's all sorts of new things going on in the format that are all playing by different rules of engagement than maybe the format was about even those six months ago. Um, for a format that hasn't changed much and these decks are all still the same, a lot has changed. And so uh, that's just something I want to keep in mind as you look at like three previously, you know, first tier decks kind of now maybe trending down towards being not your top choice. Mm. Awesome. Well, let's let's dive into the top five decks because that's kind of what we do the, the power rankings. Number five comes in with Lotus Field. This is Hidden Strings if you're looking on Goldfish with 15 points. Uh, this is actually a huge drop-off for this deck, too, from our Mega Rankings episode, right? This was number two on our Mega Rankings, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Mason, you and I were team, this is going to fall off. Like, people are going to remember how to beat this and care about it. I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, what, are the, what is this deck doing... As far as like its key cards, what are its key matchups in in kind of not only this top eight but like the rest of the stuff? But you know, and what what are your thoughts? 
So the, the biggest thing that happened is players got smarter. That is un- unequivocally the, the biggest thing that happened is players realized they did not need to build their decks in such an all-in linear way. And they realized there are multiple ways to attack the problem going forward and they can build actual sideboards and have actual plans. And this was a huge innovation. Uh, and I think Joe says sort of the first person I remember seeing do stuff like this where Joe went to the RC and had, you know, multiple pithy needles, multiple silences, and just had like a small wish package in his sideboard. And that allowed him to actually play different game plans and beat things like mono green and other players were doing stuff like it. He definitely wasn't the only one. Um, but he was one of the, the bigger name people to do really well with it. And we saw players sort of adapted. And then with the Pro Tour, we saw you know people like Nathan Stoyer sort of meet somewhere in the middle of having uh, actual sideboard plans and having wish targets, sort of like Joe, but a little more spread out across matchups. And that is the biggest thing that's changed is that sort of change from I am 15 one ofs. I have all these different things I can search up. In reality, I only search up like these three combo pieces and you know this one tech card most often now that you know they have a very small wish board that has real cards real matchups and they can just wish for those in game one if they need them and then also there's been another innovation recently of the peer into the abyss build where i know um people like xwell will kruger are big fans of that deck where uh you don't have any sort of tutors in your main deck you just peer into the abyss to kill your opponent a bunch you sort of draw half your deck once and then loop drawing half of their deck and them losing half their life over and over again. And while that builds a little more complicated, a little harder, it sort of leans into the, hey, I don't need to have wishes in my deck. My deck can be more linear and have a better sideboard plan. And so the, the biggest thing that happened is players just realized that. And then that combined with players not respecting it for a little while, uh, allowed it to kind of creep up. But it has definitely shown that it has the tools that it needs to fight through hate and probably did for most of the, the summer if we're being honest, when people were pretty low, myself included on the hinge strings, but players just did not put the work in. They didn't figure it out. And we just got smarter about it. And now we know hidden strings, the deck that you sort of have to respect or have to be playing aggro if you're going to consistently beat. Because if you're playing a slow mid-range deck like Control or Black Red, mid-range, et cetera, you're going to be in a terrible spot against this deck. Yeah, it kind of falls into the category that I think a lot of people thought Mono Green fell into, where like people thought, I actually really liked your Tron comparison. I, I've said that to a lot of people where, like, people were like, oh, Mono Green's, like, this combo deck, and, like, it's the best combo deck in the format, and here's why it's the best combo deck, and the truth is, is that it was Tron, and this deck is actually, like, a combo deck that needs to be respected, or else you just can't win. Whereas, like, the, you know, Abe, you talked about rules and engagement, but, like, Hidden Strings does this interesting thing where, you know, we see it drop in this power rankings, and I don't think that that means that it's not good. It just means it's being respected. Right? Yeah, And yeah, exactly. And those are just two different things. Whereas if you had asked me, I, I want to say like last summer, I think Mason said it perfectly, like when I was, you know, talking about this deck with, with uh, Matt Kling, I would say this deck is unplayable. Like I, I would, I don't even think that like, I, I didn't even think it was worth the effort. Um, and I don't know, it's really interesting to kind of see the change there. What are your thoughts, Abe? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that calling Mono Green Tron is a little disingenuous because I still think this deck is Tron and Mono Green is really E-Tron, if that makes sense, to follow the analogy, right? Mono Green is, it's doing the whole, like, I'm going to make a bunch of mana and have something kind of unfair going on. But also, a lot of its best draws will just put creatures in play that are hard for you to deal with. And, I think and the, really snowball hey, the game on. I think the you difference... There, I don't know that I like that comparison, though. Uh, I don't I can see Mason's hand. 
Uh, I don't know that I like that comparison though, because like, I does does I have not looked at the data. I'm like Abe, like I've been full focus on standard, and so like most of my things are going to be questions on this week's show. Does Hidden Strings have a good black red matchup? I would assume that like it would struggle. Is it good? It's like even. Okay, uh, that I don't know. That's where I want my like Tronish deck to be. Yeah, yeah but it's like a heavy mulligan deck that consistently. I, I see. Sure. Okay. That. Okay. That's fair. yeah. Yeah. It's it's actually just the hardest deck to interact with profitably, right? Like like the way that Red Black is trying to beat it is with some amount of discard and pithing needles, and um, you know, like. W- but what Hidden Strings has going for it is that it will, if the pilot is you know making good decisions, playing well, and mulliganing well then it will put you to the test of end this game before I go off. And it does that pretty well against decks that are not interacting with it, which is why, you know, when I talk about rules of engagement, I think that when we last took a snapshot in the mega rankings, and this was really high up there, this is part of that just downstream shift of why it's fallen. Other people have started to play by those rules too. They say, okay, I need to make sure that I'm gold fishing fast enough to race hidden strings in some amount of the time if my deck isn't interacting. And so, you know, you see decks like Greasefang go up in, in value and decks like, you know, Neoforming Atraxes because they have Thought Seasons and, you know, Counterspells and, you know, they're, they're doing something quickly that is going to try to take over the game and have their own goldfish speed. And that's really caused a need for adjustment where a deck like Mono Green can't do more to speed up, right? It was really good at fighting through the things people were doing to disrupt it but it can't get there. Whereas Hidden Strings, you just can't really interact with without really trying to. And sometimes when you do, it still beats you. So, um, you know, that's that's really when when we talk about why Lotus Field went from, you know, two to five, I think it's just the rest of the format moved around Lotus Field, not because Lotus Field got any worse. I think that's still I really good. I agree. Let's talk about the next deck that I think moved up, if I'm not mistaken, and that is Gruel. Uh, this deck uh, is the deck that... If I am uh, jamming arena in arena mode, it's like one of my go-tos in group vehicles. Some people call this deck boats. Um, some some of them don't play vehicles, um, but just like gruel with some number of the key cards being like scavenging use, uh, eight elves, uh, if you're playing vehicles or crown war, and then one of the truths of this deck is the power of a, a Seekers Chariot. Um, this this deck has, I don't know, it, it has, it it almost had the most finishes, but it had the fewest. It had the fewest top eights with the most finishes uh, for these power rankings, which I thought was really interesting. Um, it also, it's also just spiked a bunch recently, right? It, no, it only spiked one event, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was, it was one of the decks that spiked. So that's actually a really good point. Uh, something that maybe we should add to our show notes is like, uh, what de- how did the power rankings happen? Because I, I think that it's interesting to inform the data on this, where like the decks that won were, I believe, Gruul, Black, Red, Mid, Blue, Black... I, we can actually just pull that up. Let's actually say that really quick. Uh, I was wrong because Crucifying wasn't one of them. Also, Blue White might not have been one of them. Blue White didn't have a top two. That's impressive. Uh, 
Oh, it's because it's because of it's because of what Dex did when that didn't make the rankings. Okay, hold on. I I really like your comment about the spiking Mason because Neoform, Gruel, Phoenix, uh, were some of those decks that did win the event, uh, as well as I think that there's like a random one. Yeah, Esper Legends spiked an event. It was its only point. And then mm -hmm. Green White Company spiked an event that was its only points. And a lot of the decks that spiked the event, three, I think three of our six, three of our, three of our five winners are not in the power rankings. And I don't think that happens in games other than Magic. Like, I don't think that you can be in that spot. What was really interesting to me is that while I was making these, like, uh, things like, uh, Gruel, Black Red had the exact same number of top 16s, and then Greasefang and Blue White had more. Uh, and, and it was, I don't know, I, I think that's that's interesting data points to look at when you look at, like, a collective of a format that has 26 decks, the coalition to the percentage of the winner's metagame in the part that you're looking at is really interesting. And I honestly think that, like, Blue-White, as we'll get into it later, is the perfect example of it. Whereas Gruul got a jump because it, most of its finishes were not top eight finishes. So it needed to catch up to, like, the other decks, like Black-Red, like Abzan, to even be in the top three, the, the, uh, the top conversations. Like, a lot of top 16s is good, but this deck has interesting problems where we kind of talked about it in the public discord for he's a game media this week where it has to mulligan a lot and it also has the problem that every eight elf deck has and it is one of the reasons that i'm not entirely sure building it as an eight elf deck is correct uh where it you mulligan a lot and like you're you're curving one into three to have an elf into something else is really important um I don't know. I, what are your guys' thoughts on this deck? Because, like, for me, I, I, as I played this deck, I think you can build it to be favored. It's actually, like, a lot like Black-Red in a lot of ways, where you can actually build Green-Red to be favored against a lot of the decks, and then you're more aggressive than them. Uh, but, like, to me, like, the key matchups are how are you beating Supreme Verdict? Um, can you actually beat Grease Fang? Because if you can't, I think you might have a problem right now. And then, uh, you know, what what are you doing in your, your black-red matchup? And obviously those are the top of your decks. But I think, like, you're fast enough to beat Hidden Strings. You were built to beat Mono Green. And then, uh, you know, I, I think accepting that Spirits can be a bad matchup because you're playing two-mana removal against them is okay. Yeah, I mean, my, my opinion of Gruul has always been that it is... Uh, especially in its current configurations, it's kind of like coin flippy against the different flavors of linear decks because it itself is a linear deck, but it's a little inconsistent at being a fast linear deck in the way it needs to be to beat something like Lotus Field or Grease Fang. Um, it has tools to beat them and it has game plans to beat them, but um, you know, but where the real edge in the deck is is that it has that, and then it also is just inherently a little bit favored against um against black red and like 
just about as good, if not a little better than black, red against mono green. So, you know, historically that was kind of where it was at. Now it's still in the same position. I know that coming into the uh, pro tour, a lot of the narrative was that gruel was just the best, like level zero deck. It was just really proactive, you know, strong, um, had a lot of what you'd look for in something. It was not ever going to be a, an, a bad choice an unsafe choice, played a lot of the best threats. Um, and that's still the case. So it doesn't really surprise me to see it up here. I think it's one of the most played decks on Magic Online in the challenges. Um, but it also, it does have big exploitable holes, like you were saying, where this deck, in my experience, has never been good at beating the card Supreme Verdict. If you're going to cast a Supreme Verdict ever, it just feels like your deck can't quite come back from it. And that's because your deck is a pile of creatures. And so... Man, um, you are... You are tune my horn this this podcast is not about my beliefs on gruel but i this is a deck that i plan to like do a lot of patreon only coverage of uh going to this rc so rcqc yeah sorry yeah i would just say that you know it doesn't really surprise me to see gruel coming in here i think that like it's just not as good a racing deck and it's not as good a but it's also not as easy a deck to to shut out as some of the racing decks are, right? You can't just like build a sideboard or have a plan that immediately knocks out what Gruel's doing because it's it, it's it's fail rate as creatures. We talk about that a lot on the show where when your fail rate is playing creatures, then you're gonna win a lot of games where you play some creatures and your opponent dies. I mean, honestly, I think that that's the fail rate of some of our honorable mention decks, right? Like you look at mono green and you look at spirits, and that's part of their problem, is that you're forced into not playing spells in a lot of cases like because you just can't play that many spells in some of these decks and what's funny is like if you wanted to fix the problem with what is happening to gruel you want to play like some of the domries you want to play like you want to play planeswalkers and like the impactful planeswalkers in this archetype are things like four mana domery three mana domery four mana chandra and you, you know you, if that's the case, like you have to cut things like a Crone War, which really help you in your mono green matchup, which is like one of the reasons this deck exists. So it, it is a balancing act that this deck has. Uh, Mason, I, uh, I, you actually are uh, really good friends with a few people championing this deck. So I, I'm kind of curious on your thoughts. Yeah, I think Rule is like just sort of an aggressive mid range deck. That has sort of been my, my take on the deck. Um, and I think. What Abe said about how it is like not as fast as a typical like something like mono white is, but in exchange you have a lot more grind. Which, by the way, worth noting, mono white was like our fourth most played thing before, and is now not even mentioned here. But we'll move past that. How crazy things have changed in that department. But Gruel is sort of just like a fine deck, and things like you know you have a lot of different tools you can play, and things like the Crone War can help against you know like green and red black and mirrors. You know, that's about the board, but then you can also play, you know, uh, things like Hazaret or Chandra or Luca. Um, you know, you can play more vehicles that solve some of the Planeswalker matchup, sorry, the, the Wrath problems and sort of the heavy deck. So there's a lot of different things you can do with this deck, and there's a lot of different ways you can go. And it's really interesting to see sort of players week to week take it to the sideboard because, you know, we saw one player at the Percher, I believe they went eight and two across constructed grounds. And their sideboard plan for Blue White Control was they just played four Thrun Silence Breaker. Though a new one, and Dude, just can't that, lose. Straight up, uh, that card for me in this deck has been insane out of the sideboard. 
I don't know who that person was, but great call. Like, that card's been so good. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, you know, there's a lot of tech like that that you could do, and the deck is just really good, and, you know, I don't have much to add, just the favorite being creatures is incredibly loud. I, I would say, the one thing I would say is that we mentioned how it has to mulligan a lot because you're trying to go one to three, but I also think that's a real strength of the deck. When it does mulligan, it can mulligan into really strong draws. Like, going land into Bonecrusher Giant into Seekers Chariot is, like, on the play wins a lot of moldifies. No, it's true. You know? it, that's it, a strong one. It has, it, has, it has the good mulligans. Yeah, going one to three is just that good. Yeah. Um, the next deck on our list is Black Red Midrange, and this deck, uh, in a lot of people's estimation, is like the best deck in the format. But, you know, kind of like, kind of like some of the other decks we talked about, I think, the rules of engagement has changed, and this deck has fallen a little bit. I, I'm kind of curious. Uh, Abe, you and I worked really hard on this deck during an RCQ season. Um, I don't know where. Where do you think this deck stands right now? Like, what are, what are the kind of the key cards that people need to be playing to be successful? And like, what are the key matchups? I mean, this is a deck where not a lot has changed in its toolkit but a lot has changed around it. And I think that, you know, as you look at the way you're building Rakdos, like you're still going to have games where you, especially as the, the format has gotten more linear, right? Like as people are trying to do their own thing more, your draws with like Thoughtseize or well-placed removal spell and interaction, you know, those are going to be your best draws still and you're going to be a big problem. But conversely to that, as the decks have gotten more linear and more powerful, there's going to be more times where your opponents are going to like you're gonna have that kind of start and they're gonna be able to rebuild and like kind of punish you on top of maybe you stopping them from getting out of the gates quick, but you coming up a little short. So I think that like red black, still an amazing deck. You should you should keep playing if you're playing and succeeding with it. Um and it's not ever gonna be bad, but I think it's kind of suffering in this world by not having the best chance against these decks that are starting to get powerful enough that you know, just the thoughts he is into a creature, uh, into a fable to make sure you have the next wave of interaction lined up, usually in, term, in the form of removal, um, is really good. But uh, I know that it's Mason awful. has been playing a good amount of Red Black, so I kind of want to see what his thoughts are. Yeah, I, I would say one thing that sort of keep in mind is like the format has really changed, uh, has been changing a lot, like we mentioned. And that changes a lot of what's happening with Rakdos because Rakdos is really a deck that figures out what's going on, uh, builds its deck to have the answers to beat those things and just sort of, you know, powers through until people change stuff up. And we've been seeing so, so much stuff. I, I don't want to bury the lead on blue-white control here, uh, but, like, you know, that deck figured out, like, a whole new transformational sideboard plan that helped it a lot of Rakdos decks and really changed the dynamic of the games. Things like the Attracts deck popping up really preyed on the fact that, you know, everyone was playing a bunch of power word kills. Attracts is an angel, you know? That plus stubs in the deck, it's really easy to protect yourself there. And so many other things, too, along those same lines where things are popping up that punish Black Red. And you know, Abe and I were talking about this a little bit before the show. And, you know, I would say a bunch in the podcast how every uh, Pioneer deck was sort of two cards away from being a bad modern deck. But a bad modern deck would be the best Pioneer deck. And every deck's kind of gotten a card, and they've all gotten a little better. And so Fractos is still, you know, picking people apart with Thoughtseize. But in like thought season removal, but it's still 
it's getting harder as decks get more synergistic and they get more powerful and they're able to actually power through getting something, you know, broken up from them. They lose their most powerful card, but now their second or third most powerful card is enough to maybe recoup a, a bunch of that. So a big difference in the format for sure. I played a lot of this deck when I was trying to decide like how hard I wanted to queue for. I think it was Atlanta. And the one of the things that I came away from is like you have to care about a really wide format with this deck. And so I actually think that um, you know, if you're getting ready for your your RCQs, the one of the things that I would think about and some of the key cards is I actually think that cards like um I literally have this card on the tip of my tongue. I'm so mad at myself. Uh, Go blank is really important where it serves multiple rules. It's not great at them. It's a little worse on the draw, but it does its job. Um, and then honestly, uh, shout out to Abe. I actually think that looking at our power rankings, I would be back on Bloodthirsty Adversary in some numbers to help my Go blank plan, to help my... Thoughtseize plan to help like my discard plan because I think that in a format where like if you look at you know Lotus Field you look at Grease Fang you look at like the stuff that's going on you you actually need to really break up synergies really punish graveyards really punish mulligans in a lot of ways with this deck uh it is not about beating mono green anymore with your black red mid-range deck and if you're still trying to beat mono green you're, you actually might suffer in this format. That, that's kind of my take on this deck. And and that's without playing any games. I, I hope that like it's clear that I haven't played games in a while, but that's where I'm going to start here. Uh, number two deck, Abzan Greasefang. This is the most deck talk, the most talked about deck going into the uh, Pioneer season at the RC. If you talk to anybody, they were talking about Abzan Greasefang at the RC for Pioneer. And I think it's well-deserved. I, I think that this deck was really badly positioned into, I I don't know. Is it like, I'm kind of curious, Mason, what your thoughts are. What shifted for this deck other than people couldn't play the right hate cards? Uh, because this deck has a lot of the problems that we talked about in other decks, right? Where it has like bad matchups against uh, some of the top decks, like, it's got a really bad spirits matchup. It's got like a problem against uh, Gruul if configured correctly. Like, how does how does this deck dodge that and become a dominant deck in this format? Well, the first thing is the same thing I said about hidden strings, and that's people got smarter after the Pro Tour. Uh, Team Handshake came out with the Traverse build of the deck with things like Scrapwork Mutt that really sort of added to the consistency of the beatdown and allowed for cards like Traverse the Open Wall to be worked into the deck. And they really came up with good plans, and that really helped a lot. You know, going into the RC, Grease Fang was the thing that I know that uh, we worked on a little bit, but didn't put, I think, nearly a good enough work or time into. And these uh, Team Handshake players played it or Lotus Field, and both decks came out so much stronger for it. And just had a lot of really good plans. The other big thing, like you sort of mentioned there, is some of the other decks around things changed, right? Like when uh, one of your the most popular decks in the format plays Car and the Great Creator, so your combo doesn't work if they're on the play, that becomes a really hard thing to over uh, to, uh, to do, even if you know you can sort of solve the matchup in other ways. So things like that changing really helped. Um, this deck has like other problems and things rising up. It, it's funny, like. To me, everyone's been really counting Grease Fang, but a lot of my experience from the format has been from the position of Rakdos 
and of Neoform recently. And Neoform just eats this deck alive. Like, they just can't actually beat it. And resolves Atraxa. And that's, like, not to say it's absolutely fag, bad. It's just, like, the Fang deck just falls apart, sort of, in uh, response to an 8-8 Atraxa there. So, like, whatever. That happens. You have bad matchups. Who cares? And then from Black Red, I've actually... Maybe Derek's got to be pilled too much, but I kind of think the matchup's not as bad as it was before. And, like, it's definitely not good, but if you can just sort of break up their Grease Fangs early, you can sort of power through uh, a decent amount. So even though that deck's lost for some amount of Graveyard Trespassers, I think the matchup is still pretty reasonable, even without them playing cards like Goblin. Actually, I think, like, the Hearses are better in this particular matchup in comparison to a matchup like Phoenix where the go blank might be stronger. Well, I, I, yeah. I agree. I think that one of the reasons that it's so good for a deck like mono blue is, is hearse, right? Like where, you know, you just only have so many sideboard options. You end up playing hearse. Uh, what's really interesting to me of what you just said is I actually don't even think that you even need graveyard trespasser in this deck because so often, like you don't actually have the time to do it. To make it work because they're just gonna go off in a different like they're gonna sequence in a way that it doesn't matter abe you're nodding your head i'd love you to dive in uh yeah so i mean i i did a lot of playing the villain against grease fang leading up to the rc and i think that from the red black side at least uh beating grease fang was just a matter of having a plan for it and sticking to it and not getting overwhelmed. I think that as um, the format has shifted and, you know, the innovations of the deck list have come, especially with the Traverse build um, and, like, you know, playing things like Vessel of Nascency and kind of just this big effort by the deck to start sidestepping the ways that decks were being good at interacting with them um, in the early turns of the game. They have... The Greasing deck has benefited in both senses. It's gotten to be a better deck and the format around it has shifted in a way that makes it a better choice. Um, and I think that's really like what has made the biggest changes. I think still it has, you know, weaknesses. I think I think it's kind of close. The the Neoform Traxa deck, Mason, I've kind of had an opposite experience where um from players who I know who've been playing Grease Fang and really learning the matchup, they feel pretty good about it. Um, but it might be that they're just what they're doing when they're playing Grease Fang is different, or their Neoform opponents are doing things that are different than what you're doing. Um, mm -hmm. It really is, but it, that's a it's a two shift passing in the night kind of thing, right? It's it's if I'm sticking my uh, my combo before you are, then I'm probably winning. But I think just overall, um, you know, Grease Fang is kind of simple to interact with, but it has. You know, the power of a Seekers Chariot, the power of Sky Sovereign, in the same way that it kind of allows Gruul to shut the door on games. On Does top it have of the its... power of Sky Sovereign in, like, the, the winningest deck lists, though? Um, I think most lists that I see usually have, like, two... I, I, okay. One to two boats and four chariots. I put so... the most recent winning lists. I think that uh, the most boats played in the winning deck list was one. That's why I asked the question. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know there's been a lot of... Because it's something where one of my coaching clients and I have talked about a lot when we're talking about Pioneer. They've kind of been learning the ins and outs in Grease Fang. We've spent a lot of time looking over the deck list over the last month or so. And, you know, down to, like, plans including silence because of how comboy the format is to, like, get time walks on people or just make sure it's clearing the way for 
um, you know, actually doing the thing. There's there's a lot going on in the Grease Fang camp, and as much as the decks have improved, there's still a lot that is developing. Um, there's not, like, really any set stock way to configure yourself yet. Um, but that plan B of being, okay, I still, a lot of my setup cards are playing these creatures, and sure, my most unfair thing is putting one of these, these like, big vehicles into play quickly, but if I still just cast the Seeker's Chariot, and you're spending a lot of your time and resources making sure you're respecting, uh, you know, me resolving a Grease Fang and putting a Parkelion into play, that's going to be a problem for you because now the chariot's going to force you to put your shield down. It's kind of like a Tarmo twin situation where you're forcing them to respect the one thing and then you're pinching them into, into putting the shields down with the other, or they might just die to the plan B anyway. So I think that, you know, number one, Grease Fang benefited from the format changing around it. Um, and it, it's still, still kind of weak to, to red black that's prepared and you know people who are prepared i think are still good against it but it's hard to be prepared for that and you know the handful of other combo decks going on in the format right there's there's only so many of these different linear decks you can devote slots to and so when that's the case it, it really just helps to be one that has the solid plan b i i think that what you just said solidifies the opinion that this is modern of i don't know like 2014 to 20 whatever uh like that we're in that we're in that era of this format and i i think that abzan has actually become much more of a mid-range deck it it already was the mid-rangey version of the esper deck and the mardu deck now the abzan deck has completely taken over there's not even like a hint of those other decks and you know now it's playing castaways which i think might have been true some of the time during our last power rankings but now it's just like i think maybe universally true i would have to look uh, this, this deck is, this deck is really good at being the mid-range deck when it needs to be the mid-range deck and being the combo deck when it needs to be the combo deck. Um, which is funny cause like, you know, one of the things that I, I touted about the creativity deck in modern is its ability to be the control deck when it needs to be the control deck and the mid-range deck when it needs to be the mid-range deck or, and this deck has similar vibes, but I do not vibe with it the same way. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of curious why, but let's go on to our number one deck. And this is the deck that I've actually played the most in the last I don't know, three months. I played a I'm kind sorry. Of, what? <laughs> I'm just joking. I, I, was joking, I am sorry you... too, because yeah. I the <laughs> fact that this deck was number one was so shocking to me. I Literally, we went to dinner with some a couple patrons, and I literally don't think this deck has a good matchup outside of Gruul in our top eight. Talk about blue white control. Just a reminder from the beginning of the episode. Yeah, so this is this is blue white control. I I think this deck is actual garbage. Uh, here's the thing: I'm a huge blue white guy. Like Teferi Five is like one of my favorite cards ever. And listen, this deck is really good at punishing bad mulligans. It's really good at punishing, uh, it, it's really good at punishing like bad starts. It also doesn't have to mulligan that often because like it's like got the blue white thing going for it. But I I don't want to dive too hard into like why I think this deck has a problem in this format. Um, but I I think that I I, I will say that we have twenty seven decks that got points in this format. 
And so a huge percentage of blue-white players are going to just lose games to the format. Not not to decks, not to like, like you're just going to not line up, not have things. I, I cannot believe that not only is this deck number one, it's 10 points above the next best deck. Abe, I am obviously so wrong. I think this deck is actual garbage. I think this deck is good against a lot of the decks. Where, like, I think looking at... If you told me I was going to play a tournament where I was playing against the eight decks we have listed here, what deck I'd want to play, I could see Hold myself on. saying... No, really stop, stop, because that's a part of... That's the end of the podcast. We're going to talk about that later. But you're going to say blue-white? You could say blue yeah. white, or you will say well, blue white. But I'm saying that because I think I think that the matchup spread of just these seven these seven other decks and itself, right? I I don't hate blue white in a lot of these. I think it's the format, and this is kind of this has been my I've been really consistent on it this episode, and this is just how I feel about Pioneer at a glance as I'm really hopping into preparing for Dallas. Is you know I think that you have to be interacting in the right ways with these decks that are being really linear you have to have the right kinds of hammers to be shutting the door on them and i think that if you're hitting your land drops and casting supreme verdict you're going to be gruel a lot if you're hitting your land drops and you're countering the right spells you're going to be a lot of these combo decks a lot and you know when it comes to you know things like rakdos or a lot of the fringe stuff um that might be a little bit favored against you like those will happen, but you still have a lot of the tools to be successful, and um, and that's like you're not going to be terrible in those places. You know, as much as I think that red black is usually favored against blue white, um, like that doesn't mean that Rakdos always beats blue white. And the same way that I feel that you know blue white might have trouble with some of the aggro decks that are a lot lower to the ground that don't see a lot of play right now, um, doesn't mean they never will. So. You know, having access to all the right pieces of hate for a format that uh, is right in a format that's demanding a lot of answers. Being a deck that's able to present a lot of different kinds of answers comes at a huge benefit. Well, I think it's presenting universal answers, right? And my my problem is, is I don't think the universal answers are good. I think Rest in Peace is good against a lot of so the random on, combo decks. I think Ovin's Veto is good I, against a lot I, of the random combo decks. Like, I'm talking about the fact that... So, like... Hmm, I am not talking about the ability of Blue-White to sideboard really well. Because I actually think that it is a strength of this deck. That's what I'm saying it is, though. I'm oh, saying that okay. is the strength of the deck is that okay. you get to do I, that in I a agree. format where that's a, a hard thing for other decks to be able to do. I, this is a deck that gets to do that. I, I agree with that. Okay. I think we're in agreement there. I thought we were talking about answers in the form of, like, no. Absorb. Like... No, no. Like, I don't think Counterspell... I don't think Absorb is particularly well-positioned. But I you're going to play two! I, the list I'm playing in the league right now has three, actually, but... Dude, oh that's gross! That's... All right, go ahead, Mason. Your Honor, I would like to ask several questions of the defendant, Abe Stein. Abe Stein, true or false, during the 2017 modern SCG era, you were known to be playing Electrolyze. Is that fair to say? I would like to be the fifth. <laughs> okay. Your Honor, it's fine. We can move past it. Uh, I, my, that's fine, Your Honor. I will move on to my uh, last piece of evidence. Uh, Abraham Sine, is it true or false that you were known to play Lyra and Baneslayer in your Jeskai control decks in the modern format? during the Objection! That was good. 
That was great. I don't I even also, understand your complaint here. But just, I also didn't play that. Uh, that I I didn't play that during that time. I was playing a lot more humans and Hollow One. Just actual objection so that's, though. That's that was my, that was that's the my correct. Alibi. That's the correct way to do that. I don't even understand the complaint here. Uh, I was well, not registering Celestial Colonnade at the time of of the murder of my character here, Mason. <laughs> no. I, I, first off, we both know that's not fully true. And second off, having to register those cards is the mistake. Maybe that's right once you've made the mistake, but when you're in there, you are. Listen, my whole thoughts on the blue-white control deck are very similar to, and this might just be me reliving my life you know, now through the Pioneer era, but when I was growing up in modern, there was this guy named Jonathan Rossum who played all the SCG events. And all the pros were like, Jonathan Rossum's so good, but he plays these awful control decks, and they can beat up on stuff, and they have strong sideboard cards, and if he just played like the hollow ones or the humans of the world, he would he would crush it or whatever. That was what you know everyone said all the time. Uh, and I feel like blue white control is kind of in a similar ish spot. I will say that I think the cat sideboard plan was a really good find, and that gave it a bunch of points on our power ranking. Like I like played this at an RCQ, and one one matchup where I boarded it in because it was Gruel vehicles, and I was already going to win. It was awful. I mean, that's not true. Yeah, the cat plan's really good. It, like, like when people weren't expecting it, though. Yeah. Right? Like, it, yes. like if people aren't expecting that, they cut all their, their fate. Like, that first week of it was a good find, and that it, that is part of our power rankings of the data here. So I do think that moves the needle a little bit, having transformational. But I, I do agree with y'all that its cyborg cards are incredibly powerful. And I think that is the big strength of this deck, where maybe it's game one, it doesn't have, you know, like very strong answers and it's really leaning on supreme verdict being a powerful card along with the wandering emperor um but it, it's post-board game it has these strong cyborg cards that can sort of go the distance in some matchups and that is powerful i don't think i'll ever play blue white control in a format where like the counter spell of choice is three mana that's just not going to happen and this deck is incredibly beatable and you know if people want to beat blue white control they can and so this, I, I totally agree. Fine deck, I, though, if you like it, play it. I, here's the thing. I think this deck is like a to totally reasonable choice for your RCQ, and I I'm not gonna pretend it's not. Like, uh, I just like transparently like had attempted suicide like three days before I played this deck on RCQ, and I was in like the worst mental state of my life, and it's why I approached the tournament the way that I did, and I. I don't know. I, I think this deck has really big problems. Um, th here's the thing, and it's going to feed into Abe. I don't know that the problems can't be solved by just adding a color. Like, adding red actually seems... Oh, Abe's saying no. I actually don't think that... That really bad to me. I actually... Your mana gets so much worse. I don't know that it does. Anyway, uh, I haven't done it yet. I, I honestly... I actually wonder if, like, adding an energy package to this deck fixes some of its problems. And what energy card do you want? Uh, I'm, I'm getting lost in this one. Okay. I'm, so I'm I haven't done power? it yet. Hold on. I'll let you We're, show me what yeah. that looks like one day, Spencer. Yeah. I'm gonna I, I haven't done it yet. Wait, hang on. Tryfall? Long Cuss Cub? Is it a cat? No. Is it, we need to know. <laughs> it's a cup. Oh my gosh. So... Would that be the sickest sideboard ever? Oh my. No, it's a cat. It's Is it a cat? cat? Hold on. Wait a minute. We want to be cooking with gas. 
can't. One, a two, a three. Hold on. Grab my we just went from, <laughs> from Jessica to Ben so fast. We've lost the plot. <laughs> Yeah, I, you imagine I don't. I don't understand. After playing RC, yeah, round, I, I wanted a two of <laughs> We have to stop. Hold on, we have to <laughs> stop. This is not actual publishable content. It's yes, it it's no, it's not. Is. No, we've already got complaints. <laughs> we have to stop. Give me ten seconds. I will reel it in. Here's the thing. I I don't disagree with Mason. This is this was shocking to me, and I'm willing to be wrong. I just want to talk about like where I believe this deck stands. I don't believe that you can build a good deck that is good against Grease Fang, Black Red, and Gruel at the same time already. And then we also have to include Hidden Strings, which I think it's kind of a buy for you. Like I think that one's free. So, uh, but also Wait, you have to like what? Why is Hidden Strings the buy? Uh, because they don't do anything? Alright, here's the thing. I don't f subscribe to the I have a six mana do something card in my deck against you yeah. specifically, so then it's a good matchup for me. You have to find oh, I that. I don't think it's. I think it's about Lear, the Drowner. I, I can't spell Lear's name. You, uh, you can't counter smells. And so you just, Oh, you you're saying no it's about either. Lear. Okay. Alright. Yeah. How how does that card resolve? It can't be countered and spells can't be countered. So that card gets into play. I don't have a wrath already. Well, just go off that turn. Well, yeah, you only play it. The oh, you play it. Oh, okay. That is yeah, not because, bad. Well, like you said, you're way better. You're way like... better than my opponents for what it's worth. That is not how this has played out for me. Wow, that's that's crazy. That I'm better than the average Arch, Ar Ar Utah RCQ grinder. That I have literally <laughs> never played that matchup in a Utah RCQ. So thanks for dunking on Utah, butthead. Uh, I was talking about Arena, but all right. What? What? You just dunked on Utah. Uh, it had nothing to do with well, well, no, Arena. Doesn't have Lotus Field. Yes, it does. It, well, they don't have pin strings. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And Explorer the, is not is not pioneer. That I agree. We should add that to the episode. We're gonna add this out. Okay. I also think that like blue white is good against green on the plate and bad against it on the draw. And I think it's bad against Phoenix and bad against Spirits. I I don't understand how this deck has points. I'm just going to say the reason I have a league booted up right now is because I felt kind of similar. I knew it. Gotta be I knew that's why you were saying this. Keep going. I'm just saying that there has to be some truth there. And that's what like, and I do think thinking about it in a positive light instead of a pessimistic light, I see where a lot of the strings come from. And I'm I, not going to discount that. I did that this. I literally, you know what? It was a bad time to do this. I won't pretend it wasn't. But I also was like, you know what? I think as a person that has won a lot of matches with blue eye control, with a lot of the cards in this deck, I could figure this out in this format. And the truth is, is like, I don't know, maybe I was cutting too many edges. Maybe I just need to accept more bad matchups. But I don't know. I did I did not like this deck. And I am shocked how well it did. But I'm willing to be wrong. Like, 
I, I literally messaged a teammate that we were going to play multiple leagues with this deck during this podcast because I need to know. So, uh, with that being said, what would you play, Mason? This is where I'm at. This is this is my my struggle right now. Is I hate all the decks. They all hate me. Atraxa loves me. I love Atraxa. I understand Atraxa. People haven't adapted yet, and that's what I'm kind of waiting for. People are just now starting to get to understand what Atraxa is actually doing and understanding that it's a combo Delver deck. Um, and so. Are you talking about the Neoform deck? Yeah, the Neoform. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, that deck is just a combo Delver deck. You just have Stubborn Denial, Thoughtseize, and big creatures that dodge a lot of the removal in the format. And it's, like, pretty fine. I really like playing it. Uh, I don't know if I would play it at the RC tomorrow if I had to, but I'm playing a Traxxas for right now, and, you know, maybe I'm playing Mobile Red Black otherwise. I don't know. I'm not in love with the format. Yeah, so tomorrow, I might surprise people, this is not on our list. Tomorrow I'm playing Creativity. I think that uh, looking at the blue-white decks, they don't have a really good plan for the Creativity plan of the uh, the Channel Fireball deck. Uh, Mason, you actually talked about this. I, I want to be clear. Why why did people switch to Atraxa? Uh mostly the the biggest thing was having an X as one target and having a, a pivot because there were some people that were like adapting to the whole record horror plane, even if it wasn't unbeatable. And so having an X as one target uh, was pretty good. Also like with the move towards gruel and stuff like that, like the more aggressive focus decks and grease fang. I, I would love, I'm really curious to talk to these people who are playing grease fang and being attractive because putting like, even just as a seven, seven, like Neoform is an eight, eight, but, and the creativity builds the seven seven life like that's to trample oh, fire. Oh, you know, Atraxa actually does seem really good in that specific matchup. Yeah, and so like when you look can at you, a lot of the top decks, play, right? Can you just play three though? I guess it doesn't work on the combo build. Yeah, yeah. You, well, you only because it's legendary too, so you only ever yeah. want X one anyways. So like maybe you could play two, so you can refuel and do it again. But I know that like against Red Black, it's a lot better than Hullbreaker Horror. And the combo is kind of awkward against Red Black anyway, so it's kind of good there. Grease Fang, I think it's really good. It sort of stabilizes you. Um, and then just a bunch of the, like, Gruul, it's really strong. Like, Gruul kind of has to keep in their uh, Crone Wars against a lot of the decks that play Atraxa because they just yeah. have to try and swing through it. But yeah, it, it's I, really rough. I'm going to play Creativity for a little bit. Uh, I, I think that what Mason just said hit on something that I was already thinking, which was, like, Two attracts uh, one of each of the combo piece. So we go from there. It's just not that hard to refill with Atraxa. So and and it's the same number of combo pieces you had in the the modern deck for like creatures. So that's kind of me. What about you, Abe? I think I would probably play Grease Fang. I don't know. It just I'm kind of the same spot as Mason, where there there are iterations of Pioneer I have liked more than this one. Um, I, I haven't really even dug into it yet. I just am not looking at what it looks like. It looks like things about formats in the past I've not really liked. But I think that um, you know I've spent some amount of time you know thinking about and looking at Crease Fang. I think it's powerful and proactive, and uh, at the very least, uh, kind of fun. So so of these, I'd probably play that. Um, and there's not really anything else I've done enough work on to feel like it would make more sense than to play what is one of the 
the best decks that is proactive. So no, I, I agree. I think that Grease Fang became one of my top three immediately after making these power rings. I think that's a great choice. Uh, the Patreon question: If you want to be able to do this on Patreon of five dollars or more, uh, join our Discord. You get access to this. Uh, is how do you start working on a new format? I've only recently played Modern the last year, and want to pick up Pioneer for the RCQ season. Oh, it's a great episode for that. Do you start reading lists, watching VODs, etc., or just jamming games with different decks to you figure out what you want to explore in the format? I'm going to go first, guys, uh, because I I play a lot of Arena as like just a thing to do. I treat it as a thing to do, which has become a problem for me. But as I approach the the rcq format i'm going to switch to mtgo one because pioneers on there you to play against actual pioneer decks actual pioneer cards and i i would say that you should one focus on the format in the best way to play it so last last format we had standard and i i want to be clear how i actually think standard ranked because i actually think that standard challenges were the number one way to prepare and play standard and understand your own deck. And I don't think that was clear to people. Uh, I think the second way was actually standard. I don't know if they're called leagues or events on on arena. Where you have to play against people who were betting money on arena. Instead of just playing arena matches on ladder and actually the third way was playing arena or sorry was actually playing leagues on mtgo which suddenly started to fire on mtgo uh for that format and i think lastly is actually local events before anything else and i i think that that is really wild that we have that many options to play magic events and for if you look at Pioneer going into this, I'm going to rank them number one, Pioneer Challenges. Number two, probably Pioneer Leagues. Number three, Pioneer Local Events, like RCQs and stuff like that. And number four, maybe I will... Ex- I will accept that you are practicing a deck and explorer if you have the exact same cards before you go into a league. But it, it it's really hard to when you go into a format like Pioneer and the exact format is it on on uh, Arena. It's really hard to not move over to MTGO. Mason, you actually have a code. People can save some money. Uh, I I'm, I know you're always promoting. What? How can people save some money to do this? Yeah. So the code is use me underscore five sj. That way you know to use the code. So. Yeah, I. You know, uh, man traders. If you want to sponsor the podcast, you know, reach out to me ccmtg.info at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, that's one of the ways to do it. We can go. We we can talk about it. One of the Patreon questions is, how would you start working in a new format? I've only really pl- wait. We already did that. You already asked that. We're we're in the middle of yeah. that. Thank you. Yeah. 
So do we want to go back to no, Mason on. reading? Do you want to just have Mason read the code and then have Mason nope. do his answer? Nope. The next thing would be... I don't even remember what I said. I'm so upset. The, all of you taught just, just throw it to me. Yeah. What? Yeah. Just throw it to me. You, you had finished your point. Yeah, okay. Mason, go ahead. And so... So yeah, the, the, the code is use me underscore five SJ. That give you ten percent off your first two months. My sort of answer to the question uh, is so that when you start working on a new format, the first thing I sort of do is I go in, I try and find you know what is uh, assuming your goal is to win the tournament, which I sort of or win a tournament. That's what I'm sort of picking up here. I go and look to see what's the most powerful thing. What are people talking about? I play a little bit of that. I get some of that in my experience. So like you know, if you're listening to today's episode, you might want to play some like mono uh, blue white control, some grease fang, some red black. You know. Uh, Lotus Field, those sort of decks. Uh, for Lotus Field, you might be better off doing watching a video than trying to figure it out on your own. But generally, sort of get some experience in that sort of department. Then really start having conversations and reading and sort of thinking what the format's about. And then from there, I'm sort of looking for an angle to attack the format or figure out how to beat the best thing. I typically spend a lot of time trying to figure out how do you stop what the best thing is. And I find that that either you find something and then you're very happy or you sort of learn more about the best thing and then you're able to build your deck accordingly because, you know, you found some hole that was seemed exploitable, but wasn't really if you came prepared for it. So that's a lot of it for me. I'm really similar. Uh, I'm going to steal it from up here because, like, I I think that I I really vibe with a a lot of what you said, Mason. But the things that I wanted to kind of add were I... I'm going to try the things that I like and see if they fit. And then I'm going to adjust it accordingly. And one of the things I really like what you said is like, hey, you want to play a deck like, you know, uh, Hidden Strings or Lotus Field, like watch VODs. Like what what are they doing? And I, I actually think that from playing Monogreen, I think that would also benefit a lot of people if they're like, they just got into it because of the standard season. They qualified via standard. They've only played standard or they only played sealed into standard. And they're going to this tournament. Like you have to understand, like there are already rules of engagement for pioneer, right? You already have Breezing. You already have Lotus field. You already have blue white. You already have a, a really good aggro deck in gruel. Um, you already have black red. So what do I do from there? And I, I think that going into new format, one of the things that you should do is one of the things mentioned in this question, which is, okay, just try some decks. Like, uh, I got, I got asked a question, uh, uh, during my airport, uh, my airport AMA, that was, what What do you do when you play leagues? And I was like, I only play leagues to try decks out and understand what the deck is trying to do and its place in the metagame, its positioning. And for me, uh, that's one of the things to do when you start a format. Like, uh, I, I love playing, I'm gonna play multiple leagues with blue-white. I think blue-white sucks. I think this deck is bad. I have no idea how I got these points. Guess what? I'm still going to play three leagues with blue-white. Like, 
I'm happy to be wrong. And I think that that's kind of the approach that you have to take when you're entering a new format. You have to be willing to be wrong, to be willing to put your money down to learn things. And I'm I'm happy losing 10 bucks to like learn how a deck functions. Uh, I, I mean, I pay, you pay way less than that to like learn from a human without you doing it yourself. Right. So I don't know that that's kind of my initial take. I don't know if that's jamming games, right? Cause like jamming games to me is like, I'm going to pick up red black and play like five leagues with red black. I'm never going to do that. Uh, but I, I don't know. What are your thoughts, Abe? Yeah. I, mean, I think that. You know, you, you and Mason have said a lot of good things. I would say that if I had to describe my process to a format that I'm brand new into, which is really like how I feel about Pioneer right now, I think a lot has changed since I last really put in a lot of time to it. So um, personally, I would start by, if you don't, if you can't go and read deck lists and really understand why deck lists are different from each other, I would play an archetype you're interested in until you start to appreciate that difference. You know, that's like jamming leagues or, you know, maybe finding content to really start to differentiate it. If you don't even have that level yet and you just want to know how the decks are working, I would say, yeah, pick like three or four decks, go and play some matches with them until you feel like you have an understanding of why they're strong or weak, what they're good against, bad against. Personally, I write that stuff down and then um, like, you know, review that and make let that picture for you okay what is it i'm interested in moving forward with and then start to be like okay now that i kind of have a picture of a few of the points of the format that are important um you know why is it then that someone would build their deck in this way right kind of play until the deck list makes sense then once the deck list makes sense get back to playing um around with those numbers internally and then really just tune it down from there love that uh i hope that answered that question you want to leave a youtube comment that's one of the best ways to join the conversation for the show. You can join the Patreon Discord, the He's a Game Media Discord, the YouTube comments. You can message us on Twitter. Uh, just really clearly, like, uh, I, I don't know if this is the right time to make the announcement, but I will no longer be doing Arena Mythic Cast. Uh, just with my new job, I don't have time for it. But I'm going to work with Michaela to keep that show going in whatever way we can. And I just really want to shout her out. She's been one of my favorite humans to ever work with. Um, and I, I really appreciate that. Sam Black and I got to talk this weekend. He was really fun to talk with. Uh, I just feel like we have a really good network of shows that are trying to do different things. Arena Mythicast is trying to like promote people as like an interview show drafting archetypes is trying to like help you improve through individual ways to look at a limited format and then we are trying to like help a rcq or you know a grinder improve and it, it's really good and the shows that we're trying to bring into the podcast are trying to do that for their respective things and i i just really appreciate that so um that being said, you want to like the comment, the podcast, subscribe, review, or comment. It is one of the best ways to support the show. Like, uh, pretty often it's like I get messages personally where it's like, hey, I don't have a dollar a month or I don't have 
$5 a month, which is where I want to subscribe, how can I support the show? Like, what can I do? You guys have helped me so much. And it is honestly like, leave a YouTube comment. Leave a review on where you listen. Uh, it really does help the show. It really helps us a ton. And honestly, you know, we talked to multiple people this weekend that care about where people can find us and like uh, help them in other ways where they maybe can afford different types of stuff. Abe, I want you to go first. Uh, one of the people that I kept in coaching wanted you specifically. And I told him, I love Abe, but I want to work with you. And he told you, uh, he, he straight up told you. He yeah, like, he did. He yeah, that was... I told you. I wasn't lying when I said it to you, Abe. I, I don't know why you why would lie. What? I got I got to keep Mason humble why somehow. Not? I got to keep him. Got to keep his job. His job. You got to keep him hungry. But yeah, if you want to, if you want to find me, you can find me at twitter.com slash more nothing. My DMs are open. Uh, if you're looking for coaching or, you know, whatever, um, uh, you can also email me at more nothings at gmail.com. Uh, and that's that's really it for me. How about how about Mason gets to plug his job? Mason yeah, so, has the best uh, job, though, because Mason is the coolest of all of us. He literally has a poster of him. I do have a poster of me at the RC. That's what you get for winning tournaments. Uh, no, but um, my you can find me over at twitter.com at Mason E. Clark. You can find me over each and every week over at Card Kingdom writing an article. This week it's all about Pioneer Deckless uh, going in with new cards with mom, so that's pretty exciting. You can find me over at twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. And if you're looking for coaching, that is my full-time job. You can feel free to reach out to me on social media. Once again, that's Twitter at Mason E. Clark or via uh, email. I have a bunch of you who use that. That's great. Just put like coaching in the description so I see it. My email is Mason E. Clark, C L A R K, at gmail.com. And you can reach out to me. We can have a conversation about that. It's not just playing leagues. So many people think we're just going to play leagues together. We're not. We're going to have conversations. So get excited. Spencer, yeah. what about you? No, I, I just want to really quickly say that, like, I let, I think, three people, three to, three to five people go that, like, I couldn't coach anymore. I just didn't have the time. And I, I send them to Mason because I, I believe Mason's pretty great. Uh, and you should you should hire one of these two. Like, I think that they're both really great and I don't have time right now, but I have really cool co-hosts that both have the capability to tell you where you are at in Magic and I might cry. Uh, and also just be able to help you there. Uh, you know, just like my always improvement moment this week being about like Abe's mechanics. Abe didn't do something special. He just reminded me of something that I had decided to let go of. Like I had decided that wasn't important, but I saw how it helped Abe this weekend. And I, I think that's really important. People can find me at Spencer 13 H. Um, I am not accepting uh, coaching right now. I, I have, I'm full uh, for my job, but um, you can reach out to ccmg.info at gmail.com talk about either sponsoring the network or sponsoring individual podcasts and then yeah I honestly just like want to take this moment to just say I have never had a line of human beings try to talk to me before this weekend I'm going to cry 
Uh, and I was standing by the pairings board for, I think it was around three. And just human after human after human saw me in my jersey and wanted to talk to me. And it was a surreal experience. I am so glad the podcast meant so much to you. If you're listening, I didn't, I, I met a lot of people this weekend and I don't remember all your names. Um, it, it was, it was honestly the best part of my weekend. Uh, it was, it was actually unbelievable. Like having people say that specific episodes help them qualify whether it was the episode that Mason and I did around cyborg cards or whether it was the episode that we all did just the week before around, uh, oh man, I can't remember. There, there were like five episodes brought up. Like it was, it was pretty surreal. And I honestly had not, like I said, I hadn't been to a magic event since before the pandemic and I had forgotten what going to GPs was like for me in a lot of ways. And I just needed to take a moment to say like, that did mean a lot to me. And I don't know, like, uh, I am really glad that I got to experience that with Abe in a lot of ways because uh, Abe got to talk at dinner about some stuff that, you know, I, you should talk to Abe. Abe's great. It's not fair that I, Abe, you know what? We're just going to get you a CCMG like hat that you can wear with your hoodie. Cause then people are like, oh, that's Abe. Cause like people told me that they think you're great. So, uh, what did we learn on the show this week, Abe? You're going to go first. I learned that Mason has been having a love affair with Atraxa for, like, months now. I didn't learn that. I saw that from his Twitter. I already knew that was going to be... We didn't even... We. It wasn't even in the... It wasn't even close to being good enough. And Abe, Mason still had to bring it up. I just... I, so just like your bread and butter, where I can't check Twitter during the day. I can't read all of Mason's happenings. What did you say, Mason? I said, baby, that's how we roll, you know? You love spirits. I love Atraxa. You know, I love spirits. That's the thing you got out of this episode. No, I'm in the past. You have. Oh, I love gruel, baby. Let's go. Uh, no, spirits is spirits is like in the weirdest position of this format, where like I would not play it, but I would not fault you for believing that black red is in a position where you could play it. But I just don't believe the deck is playable. Wait, That's actually what I, I, I look learned. Look at the data right now. Hang on. Oh. Before you do that, you said it's not close. It had nine points. Spirits has 11 points. It was close. I'm looking okay. at the data right now. No, no, no. I Sorry. I was specifically saying it's not close. Like, I think that in a format where Black Red is good, you cannot play Spirits. And while mm-hmm. I believe that Spirits, like, dunks on Grease Fang, probably dunks on, like, most of the combo decks... Dunks on control for sure. Yeah, like, how can you afford to play that in a format where, like, 
a ton of people are just playing like Fatal Push. I just, I don't understand it as somebody that loves the deck. And my learning this week is like, people are winning the push. They're like, I'm going to dodge like 30% of the field. That's wild to me. Like, I would not register. I own Spirits. Like, it's in, it's in, it's next to me. It's right there. I cannot believe you would play this deck. The matchup is so bad against Red Black. Like, it's not like, like, people joke about bad matchups. It's not like 80-20. Like, it's, it, they could, they could mulligan to five and beat you easily. So, fun fact, I played a Mono Blue Spirits League over the weekend. Because I have a bunch of people coaching, you play the deck and they all like it. And I was trying to be, have be a better coach and be prepared for them. And I re-owed Rakdos in the leagues. That's wild. That's insane. Yeah. That matchup is so Can't bad. I learned. There's paid actors in the queues right now. That's <laughs> There's paid actors in the queues right now. <laughs> <laughs> <They're, laughs> Mono Blue actors. That matchup, is, that matchup is awful. Like, it's... It is oh, yeah, one of the good. worst matchups I've ever played in Magic. Um, that being said, if you're going to dodge freaking Rakdos, the blue spare decks, whether it's white, red, or mono blue, that I think that the fact that like Mausoleum Wanderer is a consistency in our power rankings, I, I think that's a good thing. Like I, I actually think that's a tell that the format is about something. Uh, kind of similar to like uh, in modern when uh, it might have been spirits and humans, but like, yeah, it, Mason, <laughs> Mason. Yeah, my my learning moment from this past week was that people love blue white control, um, and that is something I had forgotten because I just got integrated with everyone who knows how to beat blue white control. And so none of us all play blue-white. But it's important to remember, this sounds like a joke, but it is serious, that you are just going to see a bunch of blue-white control events because people just love playing Drago, Magic with Teferi. And this is like the last bastion, the last place you can sort of reasonably do it. And that's like important, you know? Like one of the Neoform's big weaknesses is like the blue-white control matchup's really bad. If I want to if I want to be serious about playing the deck ever, I have to accept that this is a problem slash like figure out a way to beat it. So um it's just important that you know people will do things even if you think those things are not very good i like that mason and i are both like team anti-blue white with being the most very dominant deck during this power rankings like we're just like planting our flag derrick style let's go if you went to dinner with us you got that uh thank you everybody so much for listening one i want to say abe Hit me up. Let's uh, let's do a mechanics video. I would love to just like open format, talk about mechanics and why they're important. Um, I I was really impressed. And then everybody else, uh, why aren't you in the Discord? Like this thing was popping for this RC. Let's go. Thank you very so much for listening. We'll see you guys all next time with another episode of Constructed Criticism. <laughs>